Nearly 25 years ago, this was how one Native actor characterized the landscape for Indigenous people on TV. You know, the only thing more pathetic than Indians on TV is Indians watching Indians on TV. (laughs) That's actor Evan Adams as Thomas in the movie Smoke Signals. It's about two boys who leave their homes on the Coeur d'Alene Reservation in Idaho for the first time. Back in 2018, the Library of Congress inducted the movie into the National Film Registry for its historic and cultural significance. But a new wave of representation is happening for Indigenous people on screen this summer. Three shows featuring predominantly Indigenous casts and crews are premiering. There's the Peacock sitcom Rutherford Falls, FX's Reservation Dogs Returns, and AMC's psychological thriller Dark Winds. It's a significant moment for a group that's been greatly underrepresented in popular culture. Last year, UCLA's Hollywood Diversity Report found that less than 1% of acting roles went to Indigenous people. For behind-the-scenes and creative roles, that percentage was close to zero. So how much has representation of Indigenous people evolved, and what's next for Native stories on screen? We get into all that and more after the break. I'm Jen White. You're listening to the 1A Podcast, where we get to the heart of the story. Remember to have your questions answered on future topics, or just to let us know what you think, tweet us at 1A. Let's jump into the conversation. Joining us is Chris Ayer. He's the director of the movie Smoke Signals and director and executive producer of Dark Winds on AMC. He's a member of the Cheyenne and Arapaho tribes. Also with us is Maya Rose Ditloff. She's a staff writer on Dark Winds. She's Mandan, Hadatsa, and Blackfeet. Thanks to you both for being here. So, Chris, let's start with you. What goes through your mind when you hear that clip from your movie Smoke Signals now? I think it's um, I think it's hilarious. Um, you know, Thomas always brings a smile to my face. That's Thomas builds the fire. And, you know, his line uh, there is so apropos of, um, you know, the irony of, of Native people watching themselves on screen and a lot of times saying, hey, that doesn't look anything like me, you know, especially when the characters were non-native and, and they were white in wigs. But, um, you know, it's, it's very funny. It's apropos of, of kind of the time and place. And, uh, you know, the question is, is, you know, what, what is the time and place now? And um, I think you, you're, you were going to ask that, you know, later on. But yeah, I think it's very funny. How, how different is the landscape now in terms of the kinds of characters and stories you're seeing on TV, Chris? I think it's it's hugely different. I mean, I expected this revolution of uh, you know native perspective and point of view to come in independent film after Smoke Signals. I think a lot of people did, and and what happened was it's it's crystallized uh, in in uh, television now in in series um, you know streaming television. I mean, we can see Rutherford Falls and. Uh, uh, Res Dog and and now Dark Winds and so this whole renaissance of native point of view um, didn't happen in independent film like we thought 20 years ago. Maya, I'm curious to hear throughout your life what movies or, or shows resonated with you as an indig- as an indigenous woman. Um, a, a very important and interesting question. I mean, I think first of all, it can't be understated just how great it is to be on the show here with Chris because Smoke Signals is 
the seminal film of Native America. Um, so to be able to have smoke signals growing up, I believe the movie came out in 1998, premiered at Sundance, um, was just truly such a gift to Indian country. Um, and, you know, it, it's one of the few things that I had that we had. I think on the flip side of this, um, film and television has had a history that has been um, there's no other way to put it other than extremely exploitative of Indigenous folks. Um, so I had a hard time. I had a hard time growing up loving film and TV because I had to keep my guard up. I knew if there was, you know, a Native on the poster, a Native in the trailer, that I had to be wary. There was always a sense that stories about Native folks were always being told by outsiders. Um, and that's dangerous because then you don't understand the heart and the beauty of the culture of the people of what really keeps you know our communities our tribes our nations alive and well and happy um so you know very fortunate here to be on with chris in that way because he was an example of you know of humor of comedy of getting it right Maya, a study from the research project Reclaiming Native Truth found that inaccurate portrayals of indigenous people can perpetuate bias and discrimination against them. And that goes from court rulings to police violence. How has it shown up in your life? Um, I mean, there are definitely so many ways. I think kind of, you know, I can remember being, you know, a, a child and sitting in the backseat of our Jeep Cherokee with like a box television. Um, and I put in the movie Indian in the cupboard and was like, oh, my God, what, what is this? Um, and very quickly had to like pretend that I hadn't been watching it so that like I wouldn't so that like my mom in the front seat driving wouldn't know I was watching the movie. And I recently saw that that very cupboard just sold for like $8,000 on like a prop website Um, in little ways. And like that, um, in that, like, you know, natives are relegated to the past um, relics of, you know, the wild West that once was, but also to larger systemic levels um, in that, you know, we've got stereotypes and archetypes that have been completely perpetuated by, um, you know, the Hollywood machine, um, you know, the stoic Indian, the Indian maiden. Um, and coming in as a Native woman, um, there's a lot of, you know, real life harm perpetuated by these narratives. Um, because in Indian country right now, we are fiercely battling um, the issue of missing and murdered Indigenous women in this country. Um, and when the only content about Native women is about Native women um, being harmed or going missing, um, what does that say? What does that say to Native women? What does that say to the country? What ideas does that give to people? Um, there are just so many ways in which it can be harmful in terms of negative representation, which I think is what is so great right now um, about this kind of, you know, boom. This summer, three shows are premiering that are created by and starring Native people. One of them is Dark Winds on AMC. The story takes place in the 1970s on Navajo tribal land. The drama is based on the Tom Hillerman series, which revolves around Lieutenant Joe Leaphorn of the tribal police and Deputy Jim Chi. They've brought together, they're brought together rather, to investigate the death of a Navajo woman. We're sending her body to Flagstaff for an autopsy. The scene... Where I found her suggests foul play. I'm afraid that's all I can say right now, Helen. Did you catch her, did it? No, not yet. Homicide's a federal crime. The FBI has to take lead on the investigation. 
since when did the FBI give a damn about a dead Indian? You, of all people, should know that. Zane McLarnon plays Joe Leaphorn, and Kiowa Gordon plays Jim Chi. Michael emails, there's a show on Paramount Plus called Sky Med. One of the lead characters is an indigenous woman who has left her community to become a nurse. Much of it takes place on indigenous villages in the north of Canada. A great show. And Catherine tweets, shout out to Peacock's resident alien. Looking forward to the new season. And in the show, Native actor Sarah Tomko plays an adopted daughter to Gary Farmer and assimilates to his indigenous community. You can send us your recommendations tweet us at 1A or send us an email at 1A at WAMU.org. Chris, we got this tweet from Julia who says, as a high school English teacher, Smoke Signals was the film I used to introduce my unknowing students to teenagers living on the res. We were all so moved with every viewing. What a marvelous gift. When you hear feedback like that, Chris, about Smoke Signals, how does it make you feel? No, oh, it makes me feel really good. It makes me feel really warm, and um, I, I'm just happy that the film's been able to have staying power. And I think the reason it has that staying power, and, and thanks to Maya for her her words earlier, is that um, it's a universal story. It, it transcends its parts. It transcends some of those parts. You know, it's about a boy who is trying to forgive his father. And he takes the poetic first step of, you know, letting letting his father's ashes go, and he's never able to reconcile. And um, I think that as Native people and universally, you know, all people, you know, we just understand those intrinsic uh, loves, genetic, you know, love and uh, blood, and and that's what it's about. It's it's in the you know. The, the form of Victor Joseph and Thomas Builds the Fire, but I think it transcends those parts and it it becomes about forgiveness. And that's what art does at its best. Dark Winds has already been renewed for a second season. What do you think resonates with both Native and non-Native people about this story, Chris? Oh, I'm I'm so excited about what Maya and the team, you know, wrote because it toggles this incredible line to me of of Native America within the overculture of um, you know the FBI not understanding um, and and it primarily focuses on the the Native you know uh, characters and storylines but you know you can't have one without the other is what I was saying earlier and what I'm excited about is that it pays homage to so much that's that's classically um, familiar I think in cinema. You know, when I look at Joe Leaphorn, I want to know that guy. And I told Zahn, I said, you know, Zahn, if we get to the end of this, whether it be in one year or five years, I want to look at this guy, uh, Joe Leaphorn, and I realize that I still may not fully know this guy. This guy is like a, a kind uncle or like a, an uncle, you know, in, in on a res that teases and, and jokes. And you still aren't quite sure who this man is, but he has a code. And I think that's what they brought, you know, in the writer's room, which is wonderful characters, you know? Um, Yeah, well, speaking... Well, I I want to talk a little bit about the writing process because the series is based on uh, the books by 
author Tony Hillerman, who's not Native. He, he grew up around Native people in Oklahoma, and the Navajo tribe gave him the Special Friends of the Diné Award in the 1980s for his writing and storytelling. But Maya, going into the writing room, what kind of discretion did you take or, or what caution did you take into the room adapting the series, knowing it was written by a non-Native author? Um, I think that when approaching, you know, Tony Hillerman's work, we wanted to give respect to the mysteries that he had created and the introduction of these characters to the world. But, you know, coming from an all-Native staff writing team, we wanted to update it. We wanted to infuse it, you know, with our aunties and our, our uncles that, that we know, that we love, and the people that we think we could run into. Um, and Zahn and Kaya and Jessica were able to so beautifully bring that to life with the characters of Jolie, Horn, Chi, and Bernadette. Um, and I think, you know, approaching, we knew that there was going to be some amount of rewriting that had to be done in terms of kind of that book. Of course, you know, the original book um, for season one came out in, I believe, 1978. So times have changed, um, you know, relationships with natives to the federal government and to law enforcement itself has changed. Um, so how do we portray that? Um, how are we able to also update the roles of women? Um, the book we adapted, The Listening Woman, didn't have Bernadette um, or even Emma Leaporn or Sally Growing Thunder? How do we introduce these strong female characters um, that feel true and authentic to the Native women that we know was also one of the big questions that we faced when adapting the work. Well, you mentioned uh, Bernadette Manuelito. She's played by Jessica Matten, who's Indigenous and Asian. And again, she's a character who's in the TV series, but not in Tony Hillerman's original books. And here's a clip of her, and it includes some of the Diné language. I'm Officer Manuelito with the Tribal Police. What do you want? Does Sally Growing Thunder live here? No. Yeah, Ananda. Are you Sally? She's my daughter. Any particular reason you lied to me just now? Is it just the two of you living here? Yes. What is this about? What do you want with her? She hasn't done anything. I need to speak to your daughter. Alone. I could do here, I could take her down to the substation. You choose. Maya, what stereotypes of Native women were you trying to counteract with the female characters in the show? Well, first and foremost, that um, Native women are um, weak, <laughs> meek, and incapable. Um, you know, all the Native women I know are absolutely anything but. Um, so we wanted to show, you know, Bernadette, who's this very strong woman. Um, she's the right hand to Joe Leaporn. She's the one out on the ground investigating. And in this clip, um, you know, questioning, you know, Ada and Sally Growing Thunder, um, knowing something that is afoot, something is wrong. Um, so giving her the agency also to literally investigate on her own um, is something that's important um, and showing that, you know, she's not necessarily a damsel in distress, I think is something that was so incredibly important, particularly with Bernadette and being able to give Jessica, the actress, um, a real character to dig into, um, someone that, you know, again, feels like you could run into them, you know, on the res, um, 
was very important to us in the writer's room um, and definitely had growth out into our other female characters, Emma and, and Sally, um, who becomes a de facto adoptee of the Leaphorns throughout season one. Chris, I, I understand this was a 30-year journey to adapt this series. What resonated with you about this project? Why was it so important to get it to the finish line? I think, um, you know, for the, the reasons that that Maya just stated. I mean, we were trying to put a point of view together on the the back of a, a mystery writer that that had some wonderful mysteries. And, you know, just to piggyback on what Maya's saying, I mean, Bernadette, you know, is no damsel in distress. She comes to the growing Thunder House and, you know, then it takes on this this new kind of element, which is you know, is is this hair being plucked from her, her shirt or is that just her imagination? And then they get back to the police station and she says, I think I'm, you know, in trouble to Joe Leaphorn and he knows exactly what she's talking about. And ultimately it goes on to say, um, I don't need your your uh, protection, Lieutenant. I, I need your respect. And And so she has this wonderful arc and it's about a woman who's doing her thing. I mean, if you think about it, way back in the 70s when there was no cell service, you know, and people were out in the middle of nowhere and she had no backup, which Joe Leaphorn says in, a, in a, another episode, you know, he says, you know, she says, should we call for backup? And Joe Leaphorn says, what backup? Mm-hmm. And uh, it's because they're in the middle of, of nowhere. I mean, you had to have a lot of uh, audacity and strength and Bernadette has that. So I think for me, the 30 year journey was about trying to get it right and to crystallize what we were all trying to say. Maya, how do you think the dynamic changes on a set when you're filming on tribal lands, when the cast is indigenous, when the crew is indigenous, you've worked on other projects how does that dynamic shift? Um, it's such a beautiful difference. Um, I immediately after wrapping in the writer's room for Dark Winds, um, immediately turned around and spent my hard-earned television money on shooting a short film on my own ancestral homelands on the Blackfeet Reservation in northern Montana. Um, and we were all able to stay in a ranch home together. Um, and before we started shooting, we had a blessing from a tribal elder. We shared berry soup, which was handpicked by myself and my mother. Um, and a lot of these things that Chris is talking about, you know, shooting at this native owned studio, um, you know, being able to do all of this on, you know, sovereign nations as theories and praxis on how do you indigenize filmmaking. Um, and it's a question that's incredibly important to me um, as a writer and a director, um, wanting to know where do we go next? What does representation look like? What does that look like in terms of our stories, our narratives? But what does that look like in terms of production and logistics? And how can we make filmmaking feel more open to indigenous people and stories? Um, because the industry is built to be exclusive. Um, It's built to be only in Los Angeles, um, which is, you know, there's Native people from, you know, the over 574 tribes um, all across the United States. Um, So how do we figure out what this next iteration looks like is so, um, I'm so excited. (laughs) I think, you know, having Reservation Dodge, Etherford Falls and Dark Winds coming out on TV in the past two years is such a great boom. Um, But I also just can't hide my excitement about what comes next either. 
We're discussing the new AMC show, Dark Winds. Greg emails the Canadian documentary-style series, First Contact, highlights stereotypes of the indigenous Canadian tribes. Great series. And Susan emails, my husband and I have read all of Tom Hillerman, Tony Hillerman's books. We have learned so much about Native American life, culture, and geography. Up next, we'll hear from actor Kiowa Gordon, one of the stars of Dark Winds, about how his character brought him closer to his tribal ancestry. Back with more in a moment. Now let's get back to our conversation about Native representation on TV. Native culture is not a monolith, and the scarcity of Indigenous representation has made it difficult to show the diversity of traditions and stories among tribes. In the AMC thriller Dark Winds, the characters are all Navajo, which is the largest federally recognized tribe in the U.S. But the Diné language and literacy educator Clarissa Yazzie recently spoke out on social media about mispronunciations of the language and other misrepresentations in the show. And the backlash has focused on the actors who deliver these lines, including Kiowa Gordon, who plays Jim Chi in Dark Winds. Kiowa is not Navajo. He's a member of the Hualapai tribe. Our producer, Sophia Alvarez-Boyd, spoke to him about his role as Jim Chi and the importance of authenticity when playing a Native character. And she started by asking him, why this role resonated with him. His upbringing uh, was kind of similar in my life in some mm-hmm. regards where it's like, you know, we're, I'm, we're like half breeds. And, um, <laughs> you know, I grew up on the res for a little bit when I was younger. And then my dad decided to move us to a big city. So I decided to, you know, kind of assimilate into that culture a lot more because you're there and you got to like make friends. So you got to kind of just kind of adapt to your new surroundings, your new, new home. And, um, and that's kind of Jim Chi there. Like he had to leave, he had to go to college and he had to live in a, a different society that he's used to. And he completely kind of fell away from the old ways. And now he's back on the res and he's kind of, uh, reluctant to go back and dig back into his past and find out, you know who he is again it's really something that's drawn me so close to 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 jim it's like this is me and my struggles in in living in two different worlds basically and kind of having like an identity crisis in a moment but then you can go rise above that and just you know do your job do what you came here to do so it sounds like playing this character has mirrored a lot of your own relationship with your with your identity yeah, yeah, and it's great because I feel like I'm getting closer and closer to my uh, ancestral homes. Mm. Uh, my mom just got approved for her home site on her res, so like we can go there whenever and just like camp out on her her land out there, her little parcel. Um, and you know, and it's great to go back and talk with the elders and the kids, and just kind of get back in touch uh, with the language and the culture there. And I can do that also as myself back with the wallapai in arizona uh, and now i can go and um, meet with some of the elders of the navajo tribe because you know I'm, i have to honor them while playing this this navajo character i'm not navajo so i have to respect that yeah i was i was going to ask about that um as these stories you know start to get told more and more there is more of a call i feel like from native people to really hone in on the specific cultural aspects of different tribes. Um, Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm wondering what you learned about other tribes while doing this show, what you learned about um, 
the Navajo Nation? You know, tribes, uh, they vary in differences and varying similarities. You know, we're not a monolith of the, these lands where everybody does the same thing. So everybody has their own specific, unique uh, culture that they cultivate. And um, I, for one, like, you know, it's we're pretty close to the Navajo geographically, um, but you there's so your, many your, more your tribe is, is my tribe yeah, yeah 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 like we're both we're all from like the grand canyon area and like the whole southwest you know in four corners all that stuff um so th- those are our similarities but there's so much um these deep you know rooted traditions that each tribe has and learning about um the lore uh for the for the navajo lore that they have is um completely like there's names that are completely different, but some of the rituals can be similar. Um, so yeah, just learning about like the Kinalda, um, the the coming of age ceremony, stuff like that. That's, that's really beautiful side that you get to witness. Cause you know, I have an eight year old daughter and she's probably getting close to that age um, in a few years. And it's kind of just, Oh wow. What, is there something like I need to go research in my tribe to be like, what am I supposed to do something for her? Cause I don't know about that in my culture specifically but you know you learn new things every day and especially from all the tribes across the lands like you can be like oh my god there's so many things that we do not know and it's just kind of really beautiful to get to explore those ceremonies that was Kiowa Gordon talking with producer Sophia Alvarez Boyd. Kiowa plays Jim Chi in the AMC thriller Dark Winds. He's a member of the Wallapai tribe. Chris, I, I want to get your reaction to what we heard from Kiowa Gordon. How have you processed and responded to some of the, the backlash from Navajo people? Well, I think like Kiowa said, you know, the effort is to get it right, but you're never going to please everybody. And I'm also very conscious of the criticism at times, and I think to myself, compared to what? I mean, we've had such a, a, a record in this industry of film and television of, of not getting it right. Um, you know, I studied, you know, film like Stagecoach and Cheyenne Autumn and Little Big Man, who, you know, I put on the marquee of the first uh, episode and so I'm always I'm always a little stunned by, you know, we're just starting to really have this diversity of native voices. You know, when I was in film school in 92 at NYU, I remember Spike came through with uh, Malcolm X. And they made it all about this African-American filmmaker who was the voice of all African-American people. And I, I realized you know, years ago that for us as Native people and Native filmmakers and storytellers, it would be an injustice to say that that Maya or myself or Kiowa or Zahn, you know, is the voice for all Native people. I mean, one of the most prideful points that I have about being Native is that we're eclectic and that we're enigmatic and that we're tenacious and that we're storytellers. And so I, I think that this is very appropriate that Reservation Dogs, Dark Winds, and Rutherford Falls are about the community of storytellers, performers, you know, showrunners, directors, writers, because we're we're part of a, a fabric of of communities that are similar but that are different and unique. 
Well, and, and I'm curious to that point, do you, do, will you take extra steps for the, for the next season? Again, it's been renewed already for a second season, because one of the critiques I've seen of Indigenous representation in film and television is that it flattens out what is really an incredibly diverse collection of people and cultures. So how are you thinking about approaching this in the next season? Um, you know, you, you get really talented Native American people around, you know, in the, the writers' rooms and uh, performers and directors and and you, you know, allow those things as artists to germate and for us to work together and you come out with these amazing um, new things. I mean, Reservation Dogs is, is you know, totally original uh, work that's contemporary and has shed light on a humor that didn't exist, you know, you know, before in television. And so you put good, talented native people together and we're just starting to hit a stride that we didn't have the opportunity to do before because of the, the gatekeepers that didn't think we had much to say. Maya, what about you? What do these critiques of the series tell you about the amount of work left to do to get these stories right, even when there are native people in the writer's room? Um, a representation, um, like you just mentioned, will always be just outside of your reach. Um, film and television, of course, cannot fully replicate what it is to be human, what it is to be Native. Um, but we will always, always be trying um, and going further and doing better. In the writers' room, we were really excited about being able to include the Diné language. Um, but of course, you know, hiring actors that weren't Diné, we got some problems in pronunciation. Um, language is really the bedrock of culture. And so to be able to have that on screen as a means of preservation was really important to us and is something that is important to me personally. Um, and I think knowing that and continuing on is just continually trying to do better and better. And I think it also points towards the beginning of what is community care um, in Indigenous filmmaking. I think we've got these three shows now. Um, they're all on two new seasons. And they're all, you know, being told by a majority of Native writers. Um, as with any functioning community, there's got to be a system of checks and balances. And, hey, do better on this part. Or, hey, good job on this as well. Um, so we're figuring out what that is exactly now and continuing on. How can Dark Winds do better? Um, and, of course, I'm always learning and growing as a writer. Um, and, again, as these new opportunities arise, we continue to define um, and explore different ways you can also be There's so many ways to just be native. That's Maya Rose Ditloff. She's a staff writer on Dark Winds, and she's Mandan, Hadatsa, and Blackfeet. Also with us, Chris Ayer. He's the director of Smoke Signals and director and executive producer of Dark Winds on AMC. He's a member of the Cheyenne and Arapaho tribes. Thanks to you both. All episodes of Dark Winds are now streaming on AMC+. Today's producer was Sophia Alvarez-Boyd. This program comes to you from WAMU, part of American University in Washington, distributed by NPR. I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk again tomorrow. This is 1A.